2014. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and tonight we will present part two of Frater Thapion's essay on immortality. Uh, this section of the essay will deal with the theory and the methods of consciousness transference to coming incarnations. What is referred to in the East as the Toku process. Now, the Christian aspects of this concept will be discussed along with a review of the origins of Christianity and Gnosticism and its original principles, the relation of immortality to the Kabbalah astrology, alchemy, and the Tibetan Buddhist Kala Chakra system will be discussed. This is an important position paper and should be considered one of our more meaningful contributions to the Hermetic Revival. So listen in and learn how to live forever. Now, our guest call-in number is 347 Eight five seven one eight three zero, and uh, if our senior alchemistical advisor is listening, that's Art Conkin. And in case you don't have the number right in front of you, you could write it down again. That's three four seven eight five seven one eight three zero. Now, other people can call in later after we get done with the lecture. Because this lecture is formal, it has a lot of important information, and I'm not going to stop to take calls in while the lecture is in progress. So, with that in mind, however, it won't take the whole hour, so we can have a discussion afterward. Immortality, Part 2, Theory and Method. A Renaissance philosopher once said, I think, therefore, I am. Now, he did not say, I think, therefore, I was, or I think, therefore, I will be. Had he carried the I am on through to these conclusions, we might rank him above Jesus of Nazareth in the perception of immortality. However, as it stands... Jesus of Nazareth still ranks as the philosopher most aware of the I am principle and most influential in communicating it. This is the underlying reason why Christianity is the world's largest religion and why most Western mystics and magicians, including Sufis and Rosicrucians and Kabbalists, venerate him in the status of a master at the very least. It should not be necessary to quote all the passages from the New Testament to justify this. And yet, in order to acquire and enjoy the treasure that Jesus promises, the devout Christian must become a heretic. He or she must go beyond faith and seek after Gnosis. The Christian magician should not feel guilty about this, 
Because the origins of Christianity and the original teachings of Jesus have gone through such political, philosophical, and institutional transformations that we can have any kind of Christianity we want and still be Christians, or, in our case, Rosicrucians. Now, this should be obvious in a world where each Christian sect believes that the members of its rival Christian sect are going to be locked out of heaven, or if they differ sufficiently in doctrine, they will be sent to hell. Now, if we go about stripping down Christianity to its transcendental basics, and that is not an oxymoron, in a tactful and gradual exposition, it would take 600 pages to lead the devout Christian gently to the light. But we have to do this in less than an hour, so we will not have the luxury of being kind and gentle. Therefore, we shall cut to the essence. To begin with, three facts must be firmly grasped. First, Christianity was one of many competing Gnostic sects. Second, it was more popular than the others because it replaced complex philosophical Gnosis with simple, devout faith. And third, it became the state religion of the Roman Empire on the condition that Jesus be accorded the status of the supreme God, this condition being entirely political. Christians might wish to argue these facts, but because they are historical facts, we will move right along with, to a definition of Gnosticism. And here again, we will cut to the essence. Gnosticism was a dualistic philosophy in which the world was conceived to be the domain of an evil and ignorant demiurge, often equated with the Old Testament Jehovah. Human beings possessed souls, which were divine sparks once emanated from a distant father god beyond the solar system. These souls were trapped in human bodies on this earth ruled by an evil and capricious God who kept them incarnating over and over in his slave labor camp called planet Earth. Now, if this weird cosmology sounds familiar, it is because these beliefs are still very much alive today. And they lie at the root of Christianity. Why? Well, because Christ was the messenger from the distant Father God come to Earth to proclaim the Gnosis to awaken us to our divine heritage and give us the magical formulas to return to the distant Godhead and get off the reincarnating earthly wheel of woe. Of course, we can see the Buddhist influence in this. It became very popular during the days of the Roman Empire when the modern phenomenon of urbanization and dislocation from the land created a large urban slave labor class who had no connection with nature or reverence for the earth. Hence, their willingness to accept the notion that the god of this world was evil. Now this is the psychic and social climate in which Christianity arose. This is why Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world, and why his preaching advocated the renunciation of all material advantage, accomplishment, and pleasure, because these would keep the soul bound to the earth. And when you understand this, there is no mystery to the Christian trinity. The Father is the distant God beyond our solar system, the Son is Christ the messenger, and the Holy Ghost is the soul trapped in the physical body imprisoned on the earth. 
Now it's important to realize that this celestial heaven was not a new idea with the Gnostics or the Christians. It is a very old idea that originated in prehistoric times when ancient shamans contemplated the night sky and the constellations revolving around the North Pole. They were inspired to believe that the Milky Way, our galaxy, was a river of souls and that the star patterns of the ecliptic were representations of gods, heroes, and monsters revolving on the great wheel of time, symbolizing the seasons, the ages, and the destinies of humankind. This ancient wisdom came eastward from Atlantis and southward from Central Asia into Mesopotamia, Phoenicia, Egypt, and Greece over 4,000 years before the Gnostics and Jesus Christ. And therefore, it must be realized that classical paganism had an equally sublime and profound understanding of the Gnosis and the great I Am. The classical pagan alternative to Christian Gnosticism was the philosophy and doctrine of Hermes Trismegistus. This Greco-Egyptian wisdom school was so highly respected by the doctors of the Roman Church that Hermes was a candidate for sainthood until it was revealed that his writings, at least those available at that time, were post-Christian rather than pre-Christian. This was corrected later, but the damage was done. Now, the Hermetic tradition was denied the blessings of Mother Church. Well, this was Catholic Christianity's loss because the Hermetic corpus, although including transcendental otherworldly aspects of Gnosticism, was essentially positive Neoplatonic monism, as opposed to the negative dualism of Gnostic and Christian philosophy, which the Church had been trying to get out from under ever since they took power and could afford to intellectualize their faith. What the Catholics could not do officially, the Rosicrucians did. They combined Christianity and Hermeticism. Now, this, this happy combination allows the great I Am to realize its full potential. Our immortal soul and our immortal consciousness can unite for the great work on a grand scale. We can circle with the planets, we can fly to the stars, and we can walk with the gods. We can become more than human, but that means that we should become more than one human. The great I am eventually becomes the great we are. And the reason for why this is is rather simple. If we all have a spark of God within us, we cannot put our individual stamp on it. It belongs to God, not to us. So as we get closer to it, it transforms our consciousness and we are moving closer to a universal personality. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. The Hindus say, namaste, the God within me salutes the God within you. And if this concept and process is fully understood, we can control the very real danger of ego inflation that sometimes accompanies magical enlightenment. When I was asked how I attained godhood and managed to avoid a superiority complex, I, I replied that I had transcended self-deification and that now my humility was legendary. With that in mind, let's consider the relation of Kabbalah with immortality. 
First, let's differentiate the various spellings of the word and what they mean. K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H, pronounced Kabbalah, refers to a system of Jewish mysticism developed in medieval southern Europe. C-A-P-A-L-A is a Christian version of it, and Q-A-P-A-L-A-H is the modern formulation which incorporates classical pagan mythology and tarot cards into its scheme. The original Jewish Kabbalah had a doctrine of reincarnation called the Gilgul, that was somewhat negative, but the Hermetic Kabbalah opted for a more positive concept. The Kabbalah's connection to the great I Am lies in the formula Achilla, I Am, that which I am. The first holy name of God important to Moses, although this was actually conceived by a Jewish writer during the captivity under the Persian Zoroastrian influence. The basic format, or master mandala, of the Kabbalah is the Tree of Life, a diagram of ten spheres with 22 connecting paths in four dimensions, combining the letters of the alphabet, their numerical equivalents, the four elements, the size of the zodiac, and the symbols of the planets in one grand design. In other words, a symbolic map of the universe and man's relation to it. The Kabbalah may have been originally a Jewish construct, but it is Pythagorean and Gnostic in origin, and its concept of Adam Katman, the celestial man, matches the hermetic idea of man being a microcosm of the greater universe, the macrocosm. To operate the practical or magical Kabbalah, one should internalize the tree of life, creating a universe of interior stars, which is an ancient way of describing the planets as applied to the spheres of the tree within the human body, which we call the body of light, and which we venerate with the body of the great goddess of nature, from which the Adam Cadman may be reborn. Now, if there are those who still believe that the Gabala, in any way, in any of its various forms, is entirely patriarchal, we should remind them that the Shekinah, the bride of Macrotrosopus, the descending spirit of God, is female, and that the Song of Solomon is the secret heart of the Zohar. This brings us to the importance of astrology in the Hermetic system and in relation to the great I Am and immortality. Now, if all of us have an equal spark of God living within us, and we are all aware of our special consciousness that no one else has, and we are also aware that God's consciousness always is at the center of the universe, then the universe is ours, and we are at its center. Now, if we are at the center of the universe, and it belongs to us, we need a universe to be at the center of. Astrology provides us with a magical universe that we can control. Oh, you thought astrology controlled you? Huh. Well, that is only one branch of astrology called natal. But there is another branch called elective astrology that enables you to influence events using astrological aspects. So your universe is predictable and controllable. This is the natural extension of the hermetic principle as above, so below. We cannot hope to master the vast, endless complexities of the physical universe in terms of shared reality, but we can master and control the astrological universe in our personal reality. 
This is especially important in our quest for consciously aware immortality. Astrology is the key to the cycles of birth and rebirth, the ancient myth of the twelve labors of Hercules, which went from Atlantis to Phoenicia and to Greece, where it became purposefully garbled. It is the plan for the great cycle of astrological ages, the Orphic, Gnostic, and Hermetic ascension through the spheres of the planets to the Ogadot or eighth sphere of heaven, and the soul's subsequent return down through the spheres and around the circle of the zodiac to be reborn on the proper sign is all part of the ancient initiatic code, keeping in mind that the circle of the zodiac is the ancient Soma Sophia, the goddess of starry wisdom. Another rational humanist will say, How do you know all this sprouts is going to work? Oh, we answer. Well, if you install a new program from an established software company in your computer, you assume it's going to work. And if the rational humanist has any intelligence at this point, he will not argue further because it is well known that astrology is based on thousands of years of careful observations and data collection. And it is by definition scientific. But what about the mythology of the initiatic code? Well... In that case, we say it comes out of the same tradition as astrology, and it will work because it is elegant, parsimonious, and because we want it to. We are operating these systems in personal reality. We need no verification beyond personal reality because when it comes to immortality, that's the only reality we need to deal with. And because that is the case, you can determine in the privacy of your personal reality that you were Napoleon Bonaparte in a previous incarnation. However, if you claim this in shared reality, you had better speak fluent French and have a doctorate in European history. Now, if this cynical statement disillusions you, then you have not yet grasped the true nature and significance of personal reality. Guy Ballard once made the claim that, he made the claim in shared reality that the original language of the angels is English. Well, in his personal reality, that was a perfectly valid statement. But in shared reality, it seems ridiculous. Now, this is one more reason to follow our ancient charge to know, to dare, to will, and keep silence. The magical part of the immortality process is actually more in the nature of a yoga than a theurgy. If Raja Yoga is the yoga of the mind, then Tantric Yoga is the yoga of the imagination. We use both yogas to train ourselves to move our consciousness into different areas of the body, the psychic centers, chakras, or interior stars, and then move the consciousness out of the body to explore and to inhabit inanimate objects and even animate beings. Oh, this is hard work, but very, very rewarding power behind Tibetan magic, and we have adapted their techniques to our Western chakra system based on the middle pillar exercise used by the Golden Dawn and derived from the capitalistic tree of life. Like the Tibetans with their goddess Tara, we venerate the goddess Astarte as the divine receptacle of the interior stars, a personification of the Soma Sophia and a focal point for the bhakti worship yoga of immortality. For it is written, 
call the goddess from above, she could conquer death with love. And if you are going to be reborn, you should have a celestial womb in which to nurture your spiritual fetus before its return. Following knowledge and conversation with your holy guardian angel, this building of the magical body of light is the next task in the great work. Recovery your previous incarnations is an ongoing process. To know where you are going, you need to know where you have been. Finally, we come to the third hermetic discipline, alchemy. What is alchemy? A shelf of books have been written trying to answer that question in different ways. There is spiritual alchemy akin to magic and yoga. And then there is laboratory alchemy, which is divided into plant alchemy and mineral alchemy. And then there is sexual alchemy and the alchemy of visionary plants. Any, exper- any experimental process to create or transform something can be called an alchemy. In classic terms, alchemy, said to mean of Chem, the ancient name for Egypt, is the application of the hermetic philosophical five-element theory in various processes of physical matter to affect transmutation or to create medicines that will heal disease and prolong life. Alchemy seeks to discover or create the philosopher's stone, an agent that will act as the catalyst in the transmutation process. Alchemy also seeks to discover or create the universal medicine, a tincture that will cure all disease and bestow remarkable longevity. Practical laboratory alchemy differs from chemistry in one significant way. Chemistry is a science and alchemy is an art. To put it another way, the chemist is a short-order cook, whereas the alchemist is a gourmet chef. The fifth element in the hermetic table is spirit or love. The seasoning which the alchemist adds to his simmering pot to produce a culinary masterpiece which cannot be replicated from a mere recipe. The great alchemist Fucanelli once said, the secret power of the alchemist is his desire. Observer-oriented effects in quantum physics are proving that Fucanelli was right. The bumblebee cannot fly, but he does because God and the bumblebee both wanted to. This desire principle is the key to understanding the mysterious emerald tablet of Hermes Trismegistus. With this secret, we will warp space and fly to the stars, not because we can, but because we want to. So alchemy is a vital part of our hermetic process. It is an area where personal reality can overcome the rules and restrictions of shared reality and manifest the impossible. But what does alchemy have to do with immortality? Well, aside from the profound spiritual insights granted by such alchemical agents as Amanita of Soma, Aboga, and others, alchemy has little to do directly with immortality. Alchemy is concerned with longevity, which should not be confused with immortality. You could stay alive for a thousand years and still not be immortal. All this is best explained by the anecdote about the seeker who asked the guru how he could achieve immortality, and the guru told him to give up all his pleasures, smoking, drinking, rich food, sex, and recreation. And the seeker said, well, if I do that, will I live forever? And the guru answered, no, but it will seem that way. Alchemy, to which in this case we should add the new sciences of robotics, 
bionics, nanotechnology, biotechnology, genetic engineering, and quantum computers, these new sciences may very well extend human life to the thousand-year mark and beyond. But true immortality can only be achieved by a genuine transference of individual consciousness into the clone, the cyborg, the android, or the organic computer that is the designated host for the regenerated human consciousness. This will require a virtually indestructible replica or simulacrum of the human brain that can reorganize and accommodate the personality, and we will assume the soul. This is a tall order, and most of us will probably not live to see it, at least in our present incarnations. And it is possible that it will only be achieved by training the individual to willfully project his consciousness into the new host brain. In other words, alchemy will still have to fall back on magic and yoga to achieve this form of immortality. The highest and most challenging of the Tibetan tantras is the Kala Chakra, or the Wheel of Time. In 1989, His Holiness the Dalai Lama presented a nine-day Kalachakra initiation and empowerment in Los Angeles, California. Art Kunkin and I both attended and participated in this event. I had previously received seven lesser tantric Tibetan initiations with a special emphasis on mastering the Vajrayogini program offered by the Sakya Order. So... I was in a position to appreciate and understand the significance and purpose of Kala Chakra and how it relates to the concept of conscious immortality or the toku process. Kala Chakra mythology is unique to Buddhism. It centers around the legend of Shambhala, an ancient holy city ruled by a succession of divine kings. Still hidden somewhere in the mountains of Central Asia, perhaps underground, but nonetheless inaccessible to the profane. The Zoroastrian influence on this Shambhala conception is obvious when we learn that eventually the last king of Shambhala will lead an army of the faithful warriors in an invasion of the profane surface world to exterminate the evil enemies of the Buddhist faith and Eastern version of the Apocalypse. In this sense, Kala Chakra and Shambhala are rather political. The culminating ritual is primarily a bodhisattva vow in which the initiate promises that he will enlist in Rudra Cochrane's army of holy warriors to defend the faith in the apocalyptic last battle. Now, most people who take this initiation do not realize that they have joined the Dalai Lama's spiritual foreign legion. But, as a side benefit to signing up, you do learn the secret of how to become Toku. You create a Western hermetic version of Kala Chakra using the same principles and technique applied to your own mythology, your own holy city, in the past or in the future. The Petal Moon of Parseval, Camelot of King Arthur, Jerusalem, or even Atlantis, and your own spiritual crusade, or more properly, a continuation of your spiritual work, because your soul is not going to be attracted to a life of material pleasures and temporal power in the next life. 
So if you want your consciousness to continue along the journey, you need to pledge yourself to a spiritual cause. That's so what it be. Now, I'm aware that there are those who cannot grasp or appreciate the concept of the great I am, or the concept of a divine soul residing in each human being, or even the very existence of God. Some of these people are very intelligent and in materialistic terms and even knowledgeable in the use of psychic powers, and some of them are even leaders in science, politics, and what they call spirituality. They have found different rationales and different methods to achieve similar knowledge and power in the spectrum they call important. We have no right or inclination to judge their concepts and methods inferior to the traditional hermetic approach. Their desires, ambitions, and goals differ from ours, and success must be judged by the value the individual places upon it. And yet, I feel compelled to remind those who might have fallen under the spell of such scientific illumination that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, that's not a threat. What it means is, is that if you don't believe in God, then he does not believe in you. And, or, as Jesus put it, you can blaspheme the Father, you can blaspheme the Son, but only if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit within yourself are you surely damned. So perhaps is wise not to burn your bridge to eternal life. From our enlightened perspective, we say immortality is already yours, but conscious immortality requires work. Now we call it the great work. Deus, good night, God bless you, and good magic. Now, that concludes the second section of our position paper on immortality, uh, which will, by the way, become a lesson in uh, the associate member program with a, a series of examination questions. Now, the way we work these examination questions is based on the same the same way the the Scottish Rite uh, Master Craftsman's course works. What it is is you just uh, the questions are just fill-ins. In other words, what we're really trying to find out is if you have read a lecture and if you understand, if you have an understanding of it. And the questions are just, so all you have to do to answer the questions is just read, read the particular paragraph they refer to and, and, and fill in uh, the appropriate answer. And then we will assume that you have grasped uh, what it is that we're, we're going to say. Now, um, we we haven't had uh, we haven't had any call-ins, so uh, I would invite you, anyone who who uh, wants to discuss any of this, because that that's a, the, the paper second half of the paper is uh, the agenda for tonight. So, anyone who would like to discuss what we've covered, please keep it on topic, if you will. Yes, call-in number is three four seven eight five seven one eight three zero. That's 347-857-1830. Now, let's talk a little bit about the associate member program and how it, uh, how it works here. Seeing as how you've just um, you've just heard one of the one of the, one of the advanced lessons in these the sort of uh, uh, the sort of lectures that we have uh, as lessons in the program, along with some practical work. Uh, the associate member program, and you can. Go on our uh, 
our website, our Medic Hour website, and you'll find that the, uh, the the lead podcast up there at the top discusses the associate member program, and and uh, this is very very reasonable, and uh, um, you know the the the, the twos are only ten dollars a year, and I think it's one of those bargains like uh, like the Scottish. Uh, Scottish Right Research Association. It's one of those bargains that you just can't you just just can't pass up if you know what it is you're going to get. Uh, and what we also do uh, with the associate member program is we give you coupons uh, for 50 percent or more discount on all of our materials that otherwise would uh, you'd have to order from uh, you know at a, at, a, at double the cost. So you get the chance to pick up a lot of good material. Now, uh, I would encourage you, and the only, thing, the only qualifications is you have to be sincerely interested, and you should be a law-abiding citizen of your country, an adult. We'd like you to be over 18 years of age, and uh, be free of any uh, association that would that would compel you to to uh, misuse the information you're getting. In other words, uh, we we would rather you not be uh, a member of some organization or or religion that finds us would find us offensive. So, but this, actually, we're very eclectic. We have we have uh, Christian members, as you can imagine, and we have and we have Jewish members, and we have uh, have a. Uh, a few Buddhists, and a couple of Muslims, and, and uh, so we're we're, uh, uh, we're we're oriented toward people of the book, in a sense. That means that, that if you're uh, if you're Christian, Jewish, or Muslim uh, in heritage, you will find our, our materials a little more related to because the Hermetic the Hermetic uh, tradition merged with the Kabbalah uh, back in the in the Middle Ages, began this merger uh, with, the, with the classical pagan Hermeticism and the Kabbalah, and this was a, this was a very, very, uh, very parsimonious marriage, because the Kabbalah was originally inspired by the very same philosophers that inspired the Hermetic tradition, and, and because the, the, the Jewish Kabbalah, Jewish as it, as it was for a while. Um, it it was essentially Pythagorean, and Pythagoras is one of the one of the progenitors of the Hermetic tradition. And you know, you can say we can kind of say the Hermetic tradition started with Empedocles, and Empedocles was one of the great mystics, about 500 years before Christ. And he uh, he was on Sicily, and there's a lot of Greek and, and Phoenician colonies on Sicily, Sicily. So. Uh, the Phoenicians and the Greeks were, were cheek and jowl with the beginning of the Hermetic tradition. So, <laughs> Empedocles, uh, he's the one who came up with the idea of the air, earth, fire, and water, uh, the, the, uh, the four basic elements to which we add spirit, of course, but the four basic elements. And he said, and he said that everything, everything is subsumed under Air, earth, fire, water, love, and strife. I says that's the whole thing. That's everything. And and then, in order to prove that he was divine, he uh, ran up the slope of the volcano and jumped into the crater. And all he ever found was his sandal. And I don't want to ever happen to that. But 
uh, he, from this uh, air, fire, and water, uh, which that, that, that's basically where the tetragrammaton comes from, uh, is the air, fire, and water in the Kabbalah. Now, speaking of the tetragrammaton, he, you know, we were talking about the great I am in our lecture, and the great I am really, it does, it springs from that, from what, what God first told Moses. At least, now, he, we're almost certain at this point that he really didn't, didn't tell Moses this. This was some very astute uh, Jewish mystic, very much under, under the influence of Zoroaster during the captivity of many hundreds, many hundreds, hundreds of years after Moses, who added that, uh, who put that into the Bible, because uh, Moses, even though Moses was alleged to have been an Egyptian prince and all that, he still, there was no afterlife. There was no afterlife in the original Jewish faith at all. So consequently, Moses probably did not come up with uh, or hear I am from the burning bush. But I am is, as I said in the in the paper, that's that's the great secret that, that Jesus uh, really, really based his revelation on and passed on in his own way to us. Um, and the, uh, as I said, the Kabbalah, with with that inserted, gives us uh, a start on that. And we ask you, you might ask yourself, well, what, what, why why isn't Ahia the Tetragrammaton? Why isn't that the great secret name of God? Well, it's not because the great secret name of God has to, according to hermetic principles and, and according to Kabbalistic principles, has to relate to the four elements, which also relate to the four ages, and which also relate to the four dimensions. And, and uh, consequently, uh, they settled on, on, uh, on a, uh, something that related to their mythology. And... Actually, a superior tetragrammaton, in from our point of view, uh, would be Shama'ata or Hamasha'o, if you want a 24-letter alphabet. We Shama'ata would be would be a, a closer to a tetragrammaton uh, relating to the elements, and that's we use that one too. Uh, Shama'ata being Sheen, uh, Aleph. Mem Tau, and Tau being the beginning of the physical universe. Now, one of the problems with the Kabbalah, of course, is yeah, they were two letters short, uh, and um, they were two letters short, so they didn't have a, a letter for Earth, so they had to let Saturn sort of be the beginning of the physical universe. That had to, to accommodate Earth. So what you have is, uh, is three mother letters and Tau uh, forming the uh, that formula. Now uh, we don't have any other um, any anybody calling in, so I am going to go ahead and uh, and wrap it up because I'm uh, this is the second half of the paper and we did that and we're going to have that that's going to go on uh, into the lesson plans of the associate member program and next week we will be back to uh, going through the paths of the tree of life 
and uh, we'll have another another uh, lecture on one of the pads, and uh, so we're looking forward to that. And and meanwhile, uh, good magic, and we'll see you next week.